but it's really all about, you know, your thinking power. You and I, man, we're made up of the same molecules. And so, and by the way, so is Elon Musk. What's the difference, right? Well, it's self-limiting beliefs. It's scarcity versus abundance. It's making fear-based decisions, think, you know, manifesting risk that doesn't really exist. And the more that you get around people that it's normal for them to operate in a place where you would like to be, the more you realize that it's attainable for anybody who's willing to show up every day, put in the work. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Today on the show, we have Jeff Duden. Jeff is the current chairman and CEO of Homefront Brands, a multi-brand franchise platform specializing in home service franchises. He's also the founder of Advanaclean, a restoration franchise that he grew to 240 locations in 37 states before exiting in 2019. Jeff has a wealth of knowledge on founding and building franchises in many different arenas. As his role as an advisor to Thrive More Brands, a franchise platform for fitness and wellness brands, has also given him tons of experience outside of the home and environmental services space. If you're interested in franchising, leadership, or entrepreneurship, I think you're going to love this conversation. Enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Are you considering investing in a franchise? Let me tell you about a great opportunity. British Swim School is a survival-based swim program with affordable startup costs and all of the training and support you'll need as an owner. When it comes to franchising, you just got to jump into the deep end sometime. For more information, visit www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. That's www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. You had a big win and a big success story with Advanaclean. So I know that was a long journey. I think it began in 1994. Do you want to just maybe, where were you at in your life at that point? Why start that business before you even started franchising? Like, How did that whole thing come together? Wolfman, happy to, to talk about that. So just for background purposes, so I'm a Chicago guy, grew up in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago, was an athlete and not a great student. You know, mo- a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, are, are pushing that two point something grade point average. I don't know why that is, but I was one of those guys. So I chased the football around to a four year university in Northern Iowa out of high school, dropped back to a junior college in Chicago, got a football scholarship out to the wonder, the Appalachian State University, the giant killer up there in Boone, North Carolina. Nice. And it was great. I mean, a couple of three things happened for me when I got there. Number one, I met my wife. I came in January. I met her February 2nd, 1989. We are aligned and we're still together. We're perfectly aligned and passionate in the fact that we're both constantly working on me. I got... (laughs) That's good. (laughs) But I got serious about school. I had always been a voracious reader, but I just wasn't interested in things that didn't interest me. But I got serious about school, got a marketing degree, 
And then that summer, I started the business in painting. So I, my roommate and I started the painting business. We won all the contracts to paint the student housing apartments during lease change. So it turned into like a, a material business over the summer. when We used the athletes that were there taking classes to do it. So that was really a great college experience. Basically, the turnaround period of my life where I got serious and focused and applied myself. And then a buddy calls me and says, hey, this hurricane just hit South Florida, Hurricane Andrew. We need all hands. We know you guys are businessy. So we rolled down there, cut our teeth in the insurance restoration business for about 18 months. I moved up to Central Florida in 1994 to start a business that would turn into Advanta Clean that I would sell some 24 years and 11 months later. And in 95, then I moved up to start our second office in North Carolina Ran as a direct business for the next 10 years. Over those times, I bought out all of my business partners for one reason or another. In 2004, I bought out my last partner, brought in some consultants, and basically said, because we had a, a big business at the time. It was a very profitable business. It was more than meeting our needs. It was growing every year. But we kept hitting these glass ceilings. So we brought in some consultants, and it was you know purpose, vision, mission. What do you really want to be? And I had my eye since I started the company on this franchise business model. So one of the things that came out of that was we really geared up for disasters in equipment and trucks and vehicles and campers and generators and all that. And sure enough, preparation met opportunity. Hurricane Katrina hit, went down there, started a four-year response where we did you know, a lot of business down there over four years. And I was driving back. And at the time I had three young children and I realized that I was never going to be home because we were doing jobs, California, Hawaii, Canada, the Caribbean, every disaster. So there was always some urgent need to go out and, you know, kill something and do something. And I decided just drive. And this is pre-franchising? Yeah, man, this was 2005. So I was driving through the night to try to get to my son's first football game, which I had missed, you know, all the preseason and everything like that. Yeah. And I just decided I'm going to sell all of our company stores under the franchise model and really refine our franchise support and all of that. And that's what I did. 2006, 7, and 8, sold offices in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida and use that money to finish off our franchise program. And we launched and we sold the business in 2019. We launched in 2009. We sold it in 2019 with 240 locations in 37 states. Holy crap. You were corporate. And how many offices did you have before you sold off the corporate to sort of fund that beginning franchise expansion? The way we split it up, it ended up being to four different franchise owners in about, okay. and it was about 13 territories over four distinct markets. And- when you said you were like driving down to New Orleans for Hurricane Katrina and like how were, I mean, I don't really know much. We've had a, a one restoration franchise founder on this show before, but I mean, there's no local companies like in the Caribbean or New Orleans or were you one of the companies where it's like, hey, big disaster, this is the legit company to go to? It's a traveling roadshow in the restoration business. You can go down there and do mitigation. It's very interesting. And we responded to every disaster really for over 25 years and you have to get in there first so we had a you know I had a truck and we had a camper and I would always you know we would send an advanced team we would have everything else loaded up ready to go outside of the disaster area and then it's like military you got to go you have to establish a beachhead you've got to deal with food you got to deal with water you got to deal with power you got to deal with fuel all of which is at a premium so you basically traveling a self-contained type 
unit. And then you go out and you've got customers that are waiting for you to get to them. I've got water in my building of a high rise. I mean, we did things, we did big technical projects like shutting down the New Orleans VA and decommissioning it. Or, I mean, like we did a 95 acre military site and we were on that site for almost three years, taking down all the buildings, re-roofing the ones that were left, you know, mitigating eight feet of soil, the size of a football field that was contaminated. So we did the heavy stuff and the technical stuff. And then in our local markets, we did straight up air duct, water damage, emergency services, mold remediation, things like that. Uh, am I misunderstanding this or like for when you're driving to like New Orleans or this traveling road show where you're going to these different markets? I mean, I guess I'm under the impression like today, isn't there restoration companies basically in every major metro and surrounding suburbs where they would call a local company and not some company that's driving in or am I just totally off the mark? Oh, it's just the demand. Yeah. They can only handle normal demand. So when you get a situation where a hurricane uh, smashed a big city, I mean, you have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs. So what we would do is we would all, of course, we had a call center. So all of the calls would go to our call center. And then we had a protocol to be able to qualify those jobs for the biggest, best opportunities. We would travel in all of our franchisees and then our franchisees, we would assign them the projects that were best opportunities first. And then after generally, usually after three to four weeks, you have to make a pull-out decision and say, okay, we're going to finish what we got. Because what happens is when you're first in that situation, you're taking hundreds and hundreds of calls and you have a waiting list of hundreds, sometimes even a thousand people. And then after a certain amount of time, you're going through your list, you're calling them, no, I got somebody, no, I got somebody, no, I got somebody. And then you got to make a decision. Staying too long with that kind of force out of town can really kill your profitability. So I see that as a mistake. A lot of restoration companies do. But the other side of it is you have clients. We had national accounts, big box retailers, the U.S. government, and they were looking for us to help them. And they wanted priority service. So we had some priority service agreements with companies like that. Fascinating. Oh, it's so cool. I would go first because, I mean, we literally went into New Orleans The water was literally on both sides of the road to get down into the corridor. We were among the first vehicles in there. There's an armed military officer there. And these guys are at a checkpoint. And they're just like, do you guys have any weapons? And we're like, yes, we do. They're like, okay, go ahead. (laughs) They wanted to make sure we were armed. So Holy crap. Yeah, I mean, because think about it. What was New Orleans at the time? I mean, they had people stuck on that bridge. And they had all the stuff going on at the Superdome. I mean, it was... a. The reason I went in, Wolf, is because everything you hear on the media is 100% wrong. You can, it's, oh, it's the worst thing ever. And then you get down there and you see that it's not the worst thing ever, or it's a lot worse than people know. So the only way to decide how to allocate and what to travel and when, like, I wanted to be the one making the decision to say, okay, roll the next fleet, roll the next 50 people, roll the next 20 trucks. Because it's boots on the ground and all the information is absolutely, it's fragmented. So you can't really paint a whole picture for a little while. And then if you wait until you hear about it, then it's too late and you've missed the opportunity to get the work. So yeah, you got to get down there. It's like ground zero. Assess the damage and make the call yourself. That's intense. And you're just sleeping in a camper for a month? Camper, sometimes hotels come back online. I mean, food's all knocked out. So yeah, you need to be self-contained and be able to just kind of pull, get your sleep anywhere. It's actually very cool. I mean, if it's not for the, 
what the people locally are going through. But if you, we had a real heart for people. We wanted to help people recover. We liked being the person coming in, being able to say, yes, we can help you. You, you kind of have to have that viewpoint if you're going to be in that business. So there was purpose inside of it. There were economics inside of it. And there was also like, man, it was pretty fun if that's what you wanted to do. I mean, it was to be able to, to, to organize that sort of a response and take care of the people. I mean, there was times that we had with labor partners. I mean, we would have a thousand people working in a day. I mean, we had partners and we were able to really put together. I mean, I could say I need 200 people with tool buckets, boots, safety eyewear, all of that stuff. And I need them in uh, five different colors of t-shirts so I can group them by teams. And I need them at this location at eight o'clock in the morning. And those 200 people would be there. Crazy. That's a really wild business. I could see how that's kind of exhilarating, though, being on front lines and you're in real time just fixing a serious disaster. So, yeah, I'm going to leave it to the kids. They can do it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what was it like, though, when I think you said 2009, you started franchising it? I mean, going from running just this restoration business to now you sold off, I think you said 13 territories between four franchisees, and then your business effectively becomes finding people around the country and then transferring all your knowledge to them to run it. What was that transition like for you? It felt so right to me. So one of the things I did when I came off the road was I was able to coach over 30 seasons of my kids' sports. So I'm big about coaching. And if you can take a group of 20 little football players that are 12 years old and really build them into a team that plays fast, that cares about one another, that plays for the right reasons. They're not afraid of making mistakes. Like all of the things that you want to build into an organization and a team, you can learn by coaching well a group of young athletes. So as I was doing that, we were awarding franchises and we were put, you know, a franchise is not a thousand employees across the country. It's a hundred families with 10 employees. So my style of leadership and the things that I believed in about intentional culture, building team, being a values forward organization, understanding like where you make an impact in, in your community and what are the best companies do in a community? Where do they show up? What are they? What charities do they sit on? How do they give back to the community that's given them so much? Like all of that stuff is really kind of what lights me up. So franchising is perfect for me, probably have more empathy than that's probably why I'm not in private equity. <laughs> I forgot to, I'm, we tend to care a lot about the franchise people that we get into business with and all of that. It was definitely the next version for me. And so we burned the boats, meaning when we sold all of our locations, we kept what was called our national accounts team. We called it commercial services group. So we kept all of our technical people. We continued to do the commercial work. And then as franchisees would come online all across the country, we would give the work from the national accounts team to those people to do to help them stand up their businesses. So, you know, I've said that in inflection points, there's really three things. You realize when you're in inflection point, when these three things exist, number one, people that you care about or you're responsible for are involved in the decision. Number two, there's an adventure, an opportunity, and three, that there's a risk of loss. So I really, I burned a perfectly good, you know, 10 to $20 million a year business in favor of franchising and the franchising essentially cannibalized it. Not to say we didn't continue national accounts over time, but you've seen the lessons that you learn from the past, looking at other companies along the way, especially in the restoration space where we operated was you don't compete with your franchisees. So we had a direct business, but 
as the franchise network grew, we knew that it was only for the support and the proliferation and the health and wellness of the franchisees. And so that's how we operated it. But we were able to maintain like great technical people, go out and help franchisees with projects, contract to them. So it was a strategy that worked, in hindsight, worked very well. That's a very healthy distinction to make that basically, as you said it, right? I mean, you don't want to be directly competing with your franchisees overall, like no one truly wins in that scenario. So yeah, it's awesome to see that you kind of recognize that earlier. And even just, I think for folks maybe evaluating, let's say non-brick and mortar service oriented franchises, I mean, that can be a good value add, which is what you were able to offer, like this built in national accounts partnership potential where, I mean, I don't want to say it was like free business, but I mean, you probably set them up with contracts that they'd have to maintain it, but they didn't have to work to win the account. You already had that for them. Absolutely. And they were able to build their team and you know cut their uh, teeth in it, learn how to do the service. And ultimately, they would take they would use that experience to leverage it into other similar accounts that were either local to them or regional. Obviously, you had a lot of success. I think it was like 250-ish locations to close to 40 states. And you said you sold it in 2019. Was there a point that you decided, like, I just, now's the time to sell it? Well, obviously, it serves a fantastic financial reward, but um, was there anything like more personal at the entrepreneurial level where you felt it was time to move on? Yeah. So, man, I don't care who you are out there listening. There's always a bigger room. There's always a bigger table for you to get around. There's always people who have done what you think about doing. So one of the things, I got into a couple of things. I got into YPO, which is Young President's Organization, which is- Oh boy, sure you've had a lot of people there, yeah. Yeah, and what I realized at that point in time was a lot of people had sold businesses and then I would ask them what their life was like after. So it was a confluence of things. Number one, I wanted the brand to be able to go somewhere where there was more resources and you know, at least as far as I could tell- the brand would do well and it would the franchisees would benefit from opportunities from wherever they went. Number two, I just turned 50. So I was like, all right, well, do I have another run in me? If I languish around on this another seven or eight years, who knows? But if I go ahead, the brand's healthy. It's in a good spot. I've done it almost 25 years and I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I wanted optionality inside of that. And also it just seemed like the right time I always check in with my family and we have a set of family values. You can see them in the book, Discernment. If you have a set of values that you use as your first decision-making filter, it usually puts you over the target. So it was a pretty clear decision. Market was good. You know, there was a lot of people looking for quality brands. There had been a lot of acquisitions. There wasn't that many left of our size at that point in time. So we thought it was the right time to do it. And on your point of there's always a bigger table. Can you expand on that? Did you feel maybe that you personally wanted to even go bigger on like a new venture or yeah? I was a crappy student working the trades and I was at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, in the dog uniform. So think about this progression. So you go from that and then you go to a mediocre uh, football player with not a blue chipper by any means. You fight your way through that. Then you become an entrepreneur in a painting business okay, we made $76,000 our last year doing it over the summer between the two of us. That's pretty good. But you know that doesn't get you on Forbes list or anything like that. Then you turn into a restoration business. 
which then goes there. And then you turn into a franchisor. So if you look at this trend line and now you grow a national company, okay, well, what's next on the trend line? And at every stage, you've got to find people who can inform your thinking about what's next for you and what's possible. And man, limiting beliefs. That's why I wrote the book, Discernment. It's like, I want to give people everything that I've learned that I use as decision filters and models of thought to make decisions. Because wisdom, when you think about wise people, they're usually older people. All wisdom is models of thought accumulated over your lifetime applied to present day situations to inform your thinking about it. Sometimes you have hard and fast rules about things you won't do. Sometimes you break them, but you do it intentionally. But it's really all about you know your thinking power. You and I, man, we're made up of the same molecules. And so, and by the way, so is Elon Musk. What's the difference, right? Well, it's self-limiting beliefs. It's scarcity versus abundance. It's making fear-based decisions, think, you know, manifesting risk that doesn't really exist. And the more that you get around people that it's normal for them to operate in a place where you would like to be, the more you realize that it's attainable for anybody who's willing to yeah. show up every day, put in the work. And, but more importantly, the third element of those inflection points is you got to give, there's something to give up. I gave up a perfectly good 10 to $20 million a year business in favor of something that might work or might not. Yeah. And I had no idea when I started it that we would get the outcome that we got. It just, it wasn't even happening at that point in the industry. It wasn't any, selling the business was not any part of the decision of starting the business. I think you're dead right. Uh, it's something I've learned over the past few years as the Wolf brand has grown and now I'm leveraging that into Crockett, our software platform and tool for franchisors. But I think the mindset shift that you mentioned is super critical. And like, I think I'd noticed it even amongst like my social network and college, so that's like friends from college who maybe they're kind of on a more traditional path, which there's nothing wrong with that. I, like absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you can just hear it sometimes in the way people talk where other people having success, it's like, oh, well, like, that's because they're special or like some, they're doing something like that can't happen for us. But it's like, wait a second, like exactly what you said. Why not? They breathe the same air. If cut them with a knife, they'd bleed the same blood. Like they're a human being. Why do they get the opportunities, but you can't? It's just once you start hanging around people, as you mentioned, who are thinking that big, it becomes contagious. And then, and once you kind of catch it, I mean, I just think it's lights out. Like you're never going to go back to the old mindset. Envy is the biggest thing that I had to overcome. And where I came from, I was just hating everybody for no good reason at all or jealous of it and, you know, comparative thinking and all that stuff. Envy is the enemy of enlightenment. And I had to train myself to be truly happy for other people's success and realize that their success didn't take anything from me. If I lost something, it's because it was my fault. I didn't grab it. I didn't execute I watched football all Saturday instead of going to look at that apartment building and somebody else grabbed it in front of me and then I saw him sell it for five million bucks. And I just, I could have gone do that because I had, oh. had it right in front of me, right? And I just didn't do it. But when you really start, and, and you look at that from an employee perspective as well. Like, man, I had an all hands meeting a week ago and I just, I looked them all in the eye and I said, how you finish, not here, but wherever you go after this, we want this to be a place where you make progress and you do well. Not asking you to be here forever, although at Advanaclean, I had nine people that have been with me over 20 years, and they were handsomely rewarded for whatever ended up their contribution to what happened there. But man, like really, really 
caring about what happens to the people that are closest to you and not being and realizing that it's not a zero sum game because I have a lot of business partners, man, and some of them, it's like they if you win, they feel like they lose. And so one of the things I talk to my kids about or anybody that'll listen, which I make them listen, but one of the things I talk to people is that the first thing you need to figure out about people that you meet is how they make their money. Because don't, and and that lies into kind of like how you think about trust. I used to think trust was how do people, will people react the same way and think the same way I do? And if they do, I trust them. And if they don't, I don't. But now I realize that there's all different ways people make their money. Somebody's super transactional. Somebody wants to build quality stuff. Somebody wants to lower overhead. Somebody wants to build a team. There's all different ways people make money. And once you know how people make their money, then you can trust them to act in ways that are consistent with people that make their money that way. So they're not screwing. So you tr- you, I trust people to be who they are. So once people show me who they are, then I decide how I engage with them and what I expose to them and what I don't expose to them. But what I don't do is hate them. And I don't envy them and I don't mistrust them. I just realize, well, this is this type of person. And I casually mentioned something to them and now they're taking it from me. Well, I knew that's how they operated. Why did you do it? Yeah. So it really, again, you know, trying to stay clean and keep your head in a good place as you're building businesses. And then especially dealing with franchisees, man, we care deeply about franchisee success and you have to get in the pocket with them. That's kind of a boxing term. Like one of our goals is servant leadership or one of our values is service. And it's meeting people's needs with a servant's heart, which is kind of a servant leadership thing. Well, you have to be close enough to people to get them what they truly need, not what they say they want in the moment, because they might say, well, my market's slow, or I got a problem with leads or something like that. But if you're close to them, they'll say, look, I'm going through a divorce and my eye is not on the ball and I need relief. I need help. I need this. I need that. But like people aren't going to come right out and tell you what they need. So the relationship equity that you have with franchisees, it takes work. So you got to get the right people. You got to get the right presidents in our home front brands. We have six brands. I mean, you got to get the right presidents, the right coaches, the right marketing specialists that are engaging with the franchisees. And then they have to be trained well to like have their ears open and to make sure that they are meeting the franchisees where they need to be met. Ready to dip your toes into the world of franchising? We've all taken swimming lessons at some point in our lives. It's just one of those industries where there will always be a steady revenue stream. British Swim School is a franchise dedicated to teaching children how to swim. With over 40 years of experience, they're a true purpose-driven brand looking to make a positive impact in the community. With no hidden costs of build-out, maintenance, or upkeep, future franchisees can enjoy affordable startup costs and all of the training and support they need, thanks to their parent company, Buzz Franchise Brands. You don't even have to get wet. For more information, visit www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. That's www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. Wow. I mean, a lot of good stuff there. I think to go back to what you were saying at first, right? Just understanding, you know, I kind of think of it like everyone is kind of playing their own game. So as you mentioned, like some people are more transactional, some might be going for trying to be a premium brand, which you think, you know, would lend itself to more quality work but obviously higher price. So yeah, just like understanding what game someone's playing. And then from there, you kind of can inform how you want to act and make your decisions. Because once someone kind of shows you that, then yeah, like you kind of know how they're going to respond to things. And yeah, it's really fascinating too, what you mentioned about your franchisees. Like that's a great note just for any leader. Like there is often 
I think with the way what people might ask for and if they're underperforming, there's usually more that you have to dig deeper to find out, as you said. And then also, if someone's asking questions, there's a question behind the question. You might come out and ask something of an employer, but the employee's really trying to get at something else. And I've even noticed that. I mean, that's like in sales prospects and stuff like that. It's just fascinating. The uh, kind of the layers to people is what it really is. My wife always says you could tell a lot about the relationship by the way people say goodbye to you. And what I've learned is that the most important thing that people have on their mind over a 30-minute call is the last thing that they say to you. They make sure they say to you before they get off the phone. So you go through a structured coaching call for 30 minutes and maybe it doesn't come up and then it's just one more thing right? They, people will always give you, or if it's a candidate that's looking at joining, like the last thing that they say before they get off the phone is the thing that they've been wanting to say all along. So pay really close attention to beginnings and ends of conversations, because a lot of times in the middle, those are placeholders to what is really on people's minds. So there's methods to increase your perception and your effectiveness and helping people be them best selves. And there's also things you can do to improve your grammar, apparently. <laughs> We'll edit that out. Well, please don't. <laughs> That's fascinating, though. I'm going to be like paying attention now in meetings to how they end. Have you ever done like psychology work, or is this come from more of your coaching background? So you seem to have an analytical mind of more of the of a human nature. I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in people. Very much. I think that's a prerequisite of signing up to be a franchisor. Even good franchising is hard enough. So you've got to be kind of set for it. But, you know, I don't know whose quote this was, but it's all over the place. But the people you meet, the conversations you have, and the books that you read. I mean, I find myself reading things about leadership, about organizational health, about alignment, and things like that. But moreover, what I've realized is that if you do the people piece well, and this is so the first. We're a fast-growing brand at Homefront Brands, and I do this also at Thrive More when I'm, my schedule is available. The first two hours of training is something called building your team, and it's all about you know building an intentional culture, tips you know real strong action-oriented things to build a team with intention, and do the people piece well because what we know about franchising is if you start well, generally you will go well. If you do not start well, then now we're into break-fix mode. So, And part of starting well is spending enough money in marketing with not being fearful. Like you have to penetrate a market. You got to do the sale. Whatever the business is, we have one business that's B2B and man, it's sales. So if you're not eating eight cheeseburgers a week with eight different of the people that you need to know, then you know that's going to, you got to get out there and do that. Other businesses, more consumer demand, you got to spend the money. But then the people piece, doing the people piece well, especially in a small business and being values forward and making sure that there's clarity around what the activities and behaviors are. And, you know, all of those types of things are really important. So, and then the relationship equity, right? Do people, is there an intrinsic motivator as to why they're going to come work for us here at the home office or work for a, a franchisee? So we do a lot of that with our charity work and we get alignment, you know, through our brands with our charity work. And ex the Advantage Clean example was we were one of 65 national strategic partners with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And we couldn't raise as much money as Domino's Pizza, $9 million, you know, rounding up to the next pie. But we did, all of our franchise owners were 
understood that like when a child survived a cancer treatment, either at Memphis or at any other pediatric oncology center where they use the St. Jude protocols and they would go do the home visit to let the kid go home. And if there was a mold issue or an indoor air quality issue that our franchise owners would be called upon to go out. And if there was a need, do the job at a reduced rate or even do it for free. And that service exemplified and aligned the values that the employees bought into the home office and the franchisees lived and managed our relationship with. And then you, the third step is if you can align that with the world through a program, like that's when you get velocity and uptake of really a values forward culture into your business. So really, I mean, for one, just the impact, it's obviously incredibly positive, but almost extracting the values from what you're trying to do. And then, yeah, just using that to align an entire organization. It's a really good methodology. And I take it in your book, that's probably more on that in your book of called Discernment. Yeah, the book is called Discernment. It's the business athletes regimen for a great life through better decisions. I don't know why I've been using business athletes observationally when we're recruiting at our home office. I mean, we I'm just always looking for the best athlete on the field. And I mean, there's many times where we've been in a final hiring meeting and this person has two years of experience and they want to go with them because they perceive that the versus the person coming out of college. And to me, I'm, you know, okay, I'm the only one that's picking the person coming out of college because I think they're the athlete. Like I just, I see their attitude. I see their hustle. I see the things that they've done. I see the way they answer the questions and the skills can be learned. So business athletes, man, they train, you know, they work through, there's lots of things that they do. And yeah, we do talk about definitely a lot of anecdotes that we've talked about today are contained within the book. And people that are in that process of deciding, am I going to do a franchise or am I going to franchise my business? Anybody who's looking to do the next thing could do well to take a few highlighter passages out of that book and incorporate it into their thinking for sure. But yeah, Jeff, I want to, you're, I believe, like, I'm not sure what the structure of the organizations are, but you know, you're one of the chief executives at both Homefront Brands and Thrive More Brands, as you alluded to earlier. Could you tell us how both of those came together? I assume it was after you left or sold uh, Advantage Clean. So yeah, like, could you give us uh, some more insight into what both those are and yeah, how both came together? Yeah, so Thrive More was a personal introduction to a local fitness concept that had two locations operating and a really good management team. So we took advantage to invest in the business and to bring our franchising expertise to it. I mean, it was local. It was right here. It was a great, great, great product and a strong management team. So that's gone really, really well. And then that team went out and took another business and turned it into a franchise, which is now Beam Light Sauna. So I'm an advisor over there. I don't have any operational responsibilities. My daily is on homefront brands. And so after I sold the business, my brother, who was the CFO of the Carolina Panthers, he came over, took over the painting business, put himself through college, went to Arthur Anderson as an accountant. And then they had a little shredding incident. And he moved over to one of his clients, which was the Carolina Panthers football team. And he was there 16 years, ended up as their CFO. And he helped Mr. Richardson sell the team in 2018 to the Tepper Group for $2.4 billion, at the time the largest transaction in sports history. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and so then we got together and created a little family office. So we did a lot of investing inside the franchise space, a lot of advising and emerging brands, servicing groups and FSO and things like that. 
And then really after about two years, man, it was like property services. Everything we're talking about is property services. And we said, we asked ourselves the question, if we were going to build a platform and if I was going to come back and operate again, what would we do? And property services are extraordinarily durable. We have migration in this country. We have low housing inventory. We have more demand than supply. We got increased migration. We got population going to be up by 100 million more people by 2050. Any statistics you look at, you got a shrinking skill labor pool, and then you got homes that aren't built as well as they were. So like property services for the next 25 years, forget it, man. Everything is going to be touched. Every property is going to be touched at one point or another. So there's some very compelling trends in those regards and property services. But we asked ourselves, if we could build the most responsible franchise platform that we could possibly imagine, what would that look like? And there was really seven variables that we identified. So first, it was people. So if you look at our executive team, I mean, chief legal officer from ServiceMaster, Michael O'Driscoll, our president of franchising, 35 years in franchising, C-level executive at multiple multi-billion dollar companies, worked for Citibank for nine years, rolled out franchise finance to 14 countries. So just a great thing. Our chief marketing officer, Hertz Corporation, Pods. So we went out and put together an executive team that's been there and done that. So you're going to see that. There. The next thing is we went out and said, okay, we want conforming brands. What do conforming brands mean? Well, certain level of revenue, certain level of profit, and we don't want any jet airplanes. We don't want anything that's so difficult for people to run. They have to be a business that's replicatable for your average franchisee out there and that they can execute the business. Territory mapping. So we at Advantage Clean had 1,500 territories done by population. Homefront brands, we only have six to 800 territories, but they're done by data. So addressable market, customers, homes, income, buildings, things like that. So, you know, we said we don't want to put it to the greatest extent possible. We want all of our territories to be like kind, similar quality. It can't be exact, of course, but we did our best to pay for the data so that we could put responsible territories out there. Enterprise-level solutions, we migrated all of our brands onto the same operating platform, I mean, which is, I think, we're the only. So that allows really strong data plays to happen, a full data lake, everything going in the same place. We're rolling out big dashboards this month to the franchisees. So, But the problem is this, right? So what we realized was, if you build it as you go, you're putting franchisees through pain. So we had to have the courage in 22, not really to go to market, but to spend all year putting enterprise level solutions in place, call center, sales center, marketing, massive technology environment that you're going to see at like a Duncan Brands or other places like that before we went to market. So it was really expensive and you got to get the people in place. So it was like, all right, well, we can either nibble at it and then go through all of this change management hell or... We can have the courage to do what we know to do and do it before the franchisees. And there's still some things that are getting deployed, and a lot of it's just in time and you know, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, enterprise-level solutions delivered to the local level, and then one of which being learning management. Like We could never afford a learning management system, but we went out and got an yeah. executive. And some of our trainings now are down to two and a half days in person because of the quality of what this executive built since last August. And we're sitting here in, a year later. And we have the learning management system like I have not seen other places, I'm sure. But so we looked with our experience, we looked across all of the highly successful multi-billion dollar platforms and said, who did what the best? And then what would it cost us to do that? And that's what we did. 
that's part of the benefit, right? With some of like kind of what you're doing, right? With this platform play is that you guys, it makes sense to invest in these technology solutions. And then that way, all the franchisees get the benefit of it. Where a solo brand just starting out, I mean, I genuinely don't think it's worth the investment for them because you might as well just try to string together third-party software providers in the meantime until you're at a point where it really makes sense to invest that. Because at the end of the day, most first-time franchisors, it's like you got to focus on growing your brand. Like building out your own tech stack isn't necessarily going to help you sell franchises or it won't help you hone in on your franchising process. So, Yeah. I mean, we got Rockbox in 15 months, what took me 15 years to get to in, in AdvantaClean. And then we've surpassed AdvantaClean already in the first 12 months of operating this platform. Amazing. That's fantastic. And you got on Homefront Brands, I see six brands yep. on the website. So are you guys incubating? Uh, are you acquiring local brands and then franchising them from there? Or is there a strategy there? Yeah. So they, we what we went out and found, solid businesses. They had to have, and you know, earnings claims and whatever, but they had to have a certain level of revenue. They had to be in business. I mean, some of our brands are 2006, 2007, 2014. So they all had to be in business for five or six years. They all had to be doing what would be considered top revenue for a franchisee. And they had to have under, you know, broken the mold on the market and solved all the problems and that kind of thing. And then we took those businesses and we just migrated them onto this new environment with a new executive team and people. And I mean, we're up to, man, 50, you know, 53 people now. We were nine last July. So we made the, yeah, well, look, we're onboarding 200 people over 12 months. Like that takes a lot to onboard these people. So yeah, you can't blink. When you're doing this, what is it they say, like on the breakfast plate, like, you know, the chicken contributed, but the pig's all in, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard that one. That's, yeah. I grew up in the Northeast. That might be a different, that might be a Midwest. Yeah, I must have, uh, but I, like I, picked, I picked that up when I moved all South. Now we're, we're all in. I mean, there's no, <laughs> so you know, there's no safety switch on this thing. So the house is built and yeah. people are filing in and grabbing their rooms and, showing up for breakfast and we're getting them, you know, we're getting them out there into the world. So, and it's great. These these people are uh, well-intentioned people and really, you know, the widening wealth gap for us, it's really important that we impact Main Street USA and we give the people to create generational wealth um, in Main Street USA for their families. Entrepreneurship is, you know, franchising the greatest wealth creation business model ever invented entrepreneurship and small business is really the foundation of our country. Yeah. And, you know, we want to contribute to that in a meaningful way. Uh, Ben Carson Jr. is one of our board members. Uh, General Anthony Tata, who led all of our forces in Afghanistan in 2006 and 70, is Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. And then Steve Murphy, who was the president of Franchising and Winmark Corporation, which is just an incredible story over 18 years in unit economics. So we really care deeply about education. We care deeply about transitioning U.S. veterans. Everything that we do is aligned with really franchisee success. And I learned this from Michael O'Driscoll. Like when you look at our business model, the franchisee is at the center of everything. And you can say that, but doing it, it's a more elevated, different kind of franchising. And the thinking around it is is interesting. So when you put the franchisee at the center of everything you do, you make decisions that are subtly different, but that's subtle, but significant. And we got the right thinking around the organization and we've made the investments and the market's responding to it. And, but another thing that we do is, you know why hometown newspapers are so successful? 
because the citizens are the stars. You know, Susie's going to college. Bobby hit a home run. A lot of, you know, we, I, I saw on one of your podcasts, you were talking about franchise sales organizations. I mean, there's a lot of people that are breaking their arm, patting themselves on the back about development, but that's just where the story starts. So you're not getting bombarded with our, on social media or things like that with our success. I mean, we're, every piece that we do wants to focus on the franchisee and it's going to be something that helps them in their market. And it's really an interesting distinction to keep the franchisee in the center of the room in every meeting that you have and to be making decisions that are in favor of that franchisee. And I found it to be one of the more interesting nuances to the way that we've built this organization. And I really like it. I do think that the unit counts get probably more attention than they should. Because yeah, at the end of the day, right? I mean, it's about how well are they supported? Yeah. Are, you know, are they profitable? Failure rates, you know, how many yeah. franchises are actually staying open and succeeding? So I love where you guys are headed as an organization. And yeah, I love Jeff. This was a, this was a really fun conversation. Glad we got to kind of cover the whole spectrum here of, of your journey. And uh, yeah, if folks want to follow along, I know you got home front brands, but I think you have your own podcast and stuff. Where's the best spot for people to learn more about you and all your franchises? Homefrontbrands.com. The site is being rebuilt, but currently you have a big fat link to our On the Homefront podcast. And we have had incredible guests on there. We have real A-listers coming on. I don't want to jinx it, but I'm recording two in the next three weeks that are people that have been on Rogan and all that kind of stuff. But we've had Kara Golden, the founder of Hint Water, $500 million exit there. Stacy Madison, Stacy's Pita Chips founder, incredible story, $250 million exit there. Mark Sisson of the Primal Mayonnaise products. Oh, wow. Tony Tate. I mean, we have 20 episodes out there. And I mean, really, really powerful people talking about their journey and you know their view on entrepreneurship and how they really made their decisions. So if you go to homefrontbrands.com, of course, if you go to On the Homefront with Jeff Duden on Spotify, on Apple, on YouTube, all the episodes are there. We're really easy to find. So just go to any of those places where you find your typical content is great. You reach out to me on LinkedIn, just Jeff Duden. And if you are interested in wasting 42 minutes or you can't sleep, you can go down on my profile and click on a link to my Undercover Boss episode. Advanta Clean was on in 2017. So the 42 minutes of your life, you'll never get back there. And you can go through the Homefront brands. You got links to all of our different brands. And if you want to get in touch without development, you can do that as well there. So homefrontbrands.com. If you need a fence, if you need a temporary wall, if you need your house washed, if you're listening out there, go to homefrontbrands.com, get to the individual website, and you can reach out directly to our sales center 24 hours a day. We'll take your call. We'll book your appointment. We'll set you up. So very excited for all of our franchise owners out there and the change that they've had the courage to make in their lives and the lives of the people that they care the most about. Oh, and Instagram. And Instagram. I'm huge on Instagram. I think I have 1,200 followers, but the content's good. Can't forget the gram. No. Cannot forget the gram. No, uh, boomers on the gram. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, you guys, we'll plug everything in the show notes there so you can check it out. Jeff, look, thanks again. This is a fun conversation and we can do this again in a few years once your platform's, you know, 10 times bigger. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.